Hello, my name's John Schaefer, and welcome to the Wealth Show podcast from CityWire. Small and mid-cap companies tend to be more vulnerable to economic disruption than their larger counterparts on the FTSE 100. So why invest in these companies for income? And should small caps be paying out regular dividends anyway? I spoke with CityWire A-rated Chris McVeigh, manager of the Octopus UK Multicap Income Fund, to get his views. Why should small caps be included in an income fund? The fund here is, is a UK multi-cap equity income product, although obviously has a bias towards small and mid-cap companies. The, the reason being that we believe they have the ability to grow much faster than the, the larger peers to, through the cycle and are therefore capable of delivering that, 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 that earnings growth, which underpins dividend growth ahead of the market. Um, our, our fund takes an entirely bottom-up approach to, to, to investing. We use what we call a core satellite approach when, when building the portfolio what that means is the core of the portfolio is made up of companies that we believe can grow earnings and grow dividends ahead of the market and will be substantially larger enterprises over our three to five year investment horizon. Uh, we, do, we also have some satellites there in two buckets. One is boosting income um, uh, and one, one is boosting the capital performance of the portfolio respectively. But it's, it's really that core that we're, we're, we're looking to, to, you know, to focus on those attractive growth dynamics that, that small and mid-cap um, companies offer. Um, whilst the growth dynamics are clearly attractive, I think what gives us further comfort is, is a level of dividend cover available within small and mid-cap companies. If we look at the FTSE all share, um, despite the significant dividend rebasing that we've seen following the crisis last year, dividend cover remains um, at only two times on current consensus estimates. Uh, that leaves limited scope for, for the FTSE all share dividends, stalwarts and miners, the tobacco stocks, etc., to significantly grow dividends from current levels unless they want to revert to arguably over-distributing as they were doing pre the crisis in our view. If, if you look at our fund, which I say is, is focused on or, or biased towards small and mid-cap companies, we're expecting dividends to recover back to, to a 4% dividend yield across the portfolio over the, cover, over the current uh, coming year. And again, on current consensus estimates, by taking this, this multi-cap approach and focusing on, on what the buys towards the, the, the small and mid-cap enterprises that we talked about, the, the, the fund benefits from dividend cover of over 3.5 times. That's well ahead of the FTSE all share. We would therefore suggest that by running a large exposure to these faster growth small and mid-cap companies, the dividend risk is actually on the upside rather than the downside, if, if that makes sense. We normally associate small caps in a growth phase. Um, is it a good thing for those companies to be paying a dividend at all? As long as they're balanced in the, in the approach and, and, and the asset or the capital allocation, John, I, I fundamentally believe so. Um, we within our fund don't have any set parameters regarding we can't buy a stock if it's below a certain dividend yield. Um, but um, we, we look for companies to be on that dividend journey to be showing that they, they do plan to, to grow it um, over the medium term. The, the, the capital allocation is obviously key. The, the great thing about small and mid-cap companies is they have got the growth opportunities that they do have the ability to pay a dividend and also reinvest in their businesses and grow them ahead of the market through the cycle. That's, so I do think it's appropriate. I do think it's, it's exciting and it's, it's an area in the market which people still don't it doesn't resonate with, with dividend investors at small, small mid-cap ends of the market, but there's great opportunities here, exciting, growing companies that we believe will, will deliver that. I say the three to five-year investment horizon that we're taking, we believe that these will be substantially larger enterprises as they, 
as, as they reinvest and, and, and grow, uh, grow through the cycle. And, and you say that there's a bias in the fund towards small cap and mid cap companies. Um, could you kind of quantify how much of the fund is allocated in, in that area? Um, about 15% of the portfolio is, is currently in stocks over 3 billion. About 10% is, is between 1 and 3 billion. So that's, that's obviously about 25. The vast majority of the assets are, are therefore within small and mid cap companies with a market cap of between 100 million and a billion with about 5% of the portfolio uh, below that 100 billion market cap uh, threshold. And, and do you see that threshold increasing the sort of the level between essentially zero and a billion? Overall, I think this balance is right. I think the balance of market caps is quite right. We wouldn't envisage changing it. We haven't changed it since we launched the product back in December 18. It offers a fund, we think, scope to benefit from the well-proven, better-the-market growth dynamics of small and mid-cap companies, whilst enabling the fund to also benefit from what we consider sensible liquidity parameters. So, no, I think, I think where it is, what it is, 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 is the bias that we set out when we launch the product and it's a bias that we, we would envisage keeping going forward. And in what sectors are you seeing the greatest income opportunities amongst small caps and, and sort of the lower end of mid caps? Maybe you could give you a couple of stock examples to illustrate that. Yeah, we, we don't run the portfolio on a top-down or a sector-specific basis. As with other portfolios on the team, John, we take a very much a bottom-up approach to portfolio construction. That's, that's what we do. We look to buy individual positions based on, on, on their merit, based on the potential opportunity over our, our usual three- to five-year um, investment time horizon. Um, so take a couple of stock examples that we're excited about. Um, and which offer what we think are, are attractive potential dividend yields. Names we could highlight could be Watkin Jones, uh, Renew Holdings. Watkin Jones is, um, is, is a leading constructor and manager of residential for rent. It's focusing there from build to rent and, and, and the student accommodation sector. Two markets where we, we think there are, are attractive long-term growth dynamics. Um, Watkin Jones has been recovering nicely from the pandemic. It's seen its shares up. I think up about 35% so far this year, but remains on what we think is an attractive uh, prospective earnings multiple and is expected to deliver a dividend yield for the coming year of, of about 4%. That's exactly the sort of stock we're trying to buy. Good quality um, management teams, good uh, well market positions, um, potential uh, to continue to grow the business as, as their sectors grow, but also you know benefit from uh, taking share and, and a good healthy dividend yield, which they're benefiting from. Another name I mentioned there, Renew Holdings, that provides um, essential engineering uh, services to, to maintain and renew critical infrastructure across the UK, so water, rail, whatever it might be, and uh, nuclear, etc. Again, critical infrastructure is going to be a potential market which should benefit um, from the government's levelling up agenda. Um, it, it, again, this is a stock which is up, is up about 50% over this, this year today, but again, remains attractively valued from a, from a potential earnings multiple. Um, and, and again, it's paying a, a potential dividend yield, not quite as attractive as, as Watkin Jones, um, but, but coming at about 2%. So these are sorts of names we're trying to, trying to identify and trying to find. And, uh, you know, these are holdings which we, we've known for a long time across the other mandates and the team. Uh, we are significant shareholders in both these names, and we believe that they have got those characteristics of growth 
um, over that three to five year view that we that we seek to we, we, we seek to position ourselves in. I mean, going back to what Ken Jones you mentioned, the sort of focus on student accommodation is that something that perhaps over the long term you're a bit more concerned about? Perhaps a move away from sort of an international students going to to universities in person and perhaps a shift to online learning. Uh, maybe, but I, I think you know. The, the, if you recall, you know, there's university John, certainly mine. The, the student accommodation stock out there in the UK is pretty bad. I, th- I think even if they were to see a bit of a, a slackening of, of, of some foreign students coming, there's still a lot of of, of inventory that needs to be replaced, and and, and building um, uh, high quality uh, product that students want to live in, there will be demand for. And certainly, we've seen. They, 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 what can Jones have, uh, have seen a good recovery in institutional demand for their products, um, which they, they don't take any risk when they construct these things. Everything is pre-sold to an institutional investor. Um, the, the risk is around delivery, but the company's had uh, a long track record of, of, of working in this space. Um, they know how to how to manage this, and and uh, I think the growth dynamics are very attractive. But the business is aware it doesn't want to be all eggs one basket, and it's therefore expanding its its, uh, its product offer and built to rent in the market. It is looking to build on as well. So um, we think it's very well said, and we think student accommodation has got a, a, a long way to go. And what are you looking for in a small cap dividend payer? John, when assessing a dividend. Paying stock, it's the same as assessing any of the companies that we, we, we look for. We, we're looking for companies, that I say, with appropriate balance sheets, good prospects, solid prospects for growth, quality management teams, and, and good levels of earnings visibility. That's what makes up the core of this portfolio. It's what makes up the core of the other mandates in which, which we manage over here. Um, we would, as I say, only consider a, a business for potential inclusion in this fund where the company to be on the dividend journey or, or, or to have it indicated an intention to do so in, in the short term. That is vital to our approach. We need to understand that these companies are appreciative of, of, of dividends and, 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 and how important they are to our, to our investor base. As I said earlier on, we've got no minimum dividend requirement. Um, rather, we're, we're looking for companies to be on that dividend journey. Uh, and and we, we need to try to uh, understand and assess where they could be um, over that, that three to five year in investment horizon. Um, I mentioned early on we have the, the core and the satellites, some of the growth satellites which are there to boost the capital performance of the portfolio, for example. They're, they're paying rather small dividends at this stage. Future PLC is a name which we've held since inception. It's only paying a 0.1% dividend yield at this stage. However, this stock benefits from solid high single-digit free cash flow yield. It's, it's currently continuing to, <coughs> excuse me, it's currently continuing to, to use that cash to consolidate other assets, to, to buy in other magazine titles. I'm sure you're familiar with the business. However, as the stock scales and grows, we do think that it could look to use some more of this cash generation to boost its, its dividend performance. It's finding these names at, at their earlier stages of the dividend journey, I think that perhaps sets us apart from many many more traditional large-cap-focused equity income funds who are owning, you know, as I said, the dividend stalwarts and miners with tobacco names, etc. Have there been any small-cap dividend pairs that you've cut during the pandemic? And if so, why? There's been very little turn churn in the, in the portfolio through the pandemic. As I say, we entered the pandemic with, with the fund in what we thought was pretty good shape. The dividend yield was 4.4% at the time, and, and the dividend cover was... was two and a bit times, yes, we saw dividend cuts across the portfolio, and that was obviously a challenge for anyone in, in this space. 
we, we, we took off a little bit of exposure to um, consumer debt at the earlier stages of the pandemic. Um, and we allocated that capital to areas of the market where we thought there'd be better trading and, and dividends would be paid, such as some of the supermarkets, for example. But we made very little fundamental change. And I think as it sits today, you know, we, we, we again, the, the core of the portfolio, if we have a chat again in, in a year's time, John, it will, it will look very similar. We'd like to take positions and hold them because we fundamentally believe that they are, they are, they are well set to grow. There's always going to be some, some. There's always going to be some churn that tends to happen in the satellite ends of the funds, and, and and the reason that they are satellites is because they are not core positions that we're not fully embracing at this stage. But we may do in the medium term. But uh, that that that'll see a little bit more um, rotation. But it's limited. It's, it's it's not much, and we haven't made many changes um, as a result of the pandemic. So AIM dividends were cut pretty hard during the the pandemic, and and obviously that hasn't been just small cap markets, the main markets have the same problem. Um, you know, obviously, a lot, a lot of companies have been cutting back or cancelling payments. And how long in, in, in AIM do you think it will be before dividends return to those pre-pandemic levels? Uh, as you say, 2020 was undoubtedly hard for dividend payers across the entire market, not just AIM. I haven't done the data on AIM. If you look at it from a small mid-cap perspective on the, on the small and the FTSE 250, uh, we would expect to see... A significant recovery for many of these names by 2023. Um, however, if you look against the FTSE All Share, for example, that we talked about earlier on, given given the limited dividend cover that they they they're, they're, they they have, we would expect to see by that point dividend payout still 15% below pre-pandemic levels for the FTSE All Share. If we look at our fund again, benefiting from these progressive small mid-cap, faster growth businesses, we would expect to see dividend recovery basically on a like-for-like basis by, by 2022. We came into the market with companies which are in good shape. It's taken this progressive approach. It's focusing on these faster growth, smaller mid-cap, uh, dividend-paying companies, um, which gives us that, 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 that good uh, scope for recovery. I think our fund is, is therefore well-positioned from a, a full dividend recovery in the relatively near term and certainly well ahead of the market. Now, you did mention there that there was a limited amount of churn in the fund, but um, on the flip side, were, were there any companies that you bought on the basis that you thought dividends are going to return or there is opportunities in the future? Certain names, we, we talked about Walking Jones earlier on, they cut their, their interim dividend during the crisis and, and, and we believe that they would be able to recover and, and, and pay, pay the dividend and indeed they, 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 they did pay out the full dividend at the end of that year. These were sort of names we were topping up during the crisis rather than, rather than buying for the, new, for the first time. Future PLC, if you recall, that share price in February, pre uh, pre the, 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 the significant pullback the following month, that share price was up at fourteen pounds. In the depth of March last year, it was down at six pounds. It's currently at about thirty-seven pounds fifty. We were topping up that name down at six pounds. Those were the sort of opportunities that we were taking advantage of, um, just because of the very, you know the market we thought had disconnected with the underlying fundamentals of the companies. They were both extremely well positioned. The markets in Walking Jones' case would recover. In Futures' case, didn't skip a beat. Indeed, they were upgrading uh, throughout the last, uh, last year or so. So it was taking advantage of those types of events that, uh, that, 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 that we, we looked to, to capitalise on uh, during, during the pandemic. And you mentioned a couple of top-ups there, but were there any completely fresh new, new companies that you bought into? Um, uh, top of my head, I, I, I can't recall it. There's always names we do we do add to. We've added recently things we bought in, in, the, in the last six to eight months. DWF, which is a 
a six percent dividend yielding um, legal services business. It came to market relatively recently. It had a bit of a, a, a bumpy start to public market life, but there's been a management change there. Um, and uh, we, we do think they're doing a very good job of uh, reassessing the cost base um, and, and starting to drive the business profitability quite significantly. Uh, the, the shares remain at an attractive multiple um, from an earnings perspective, I think about 10 times, they're paying a 6% dividend yield. And it's one that I think should continue to grow and recover uh, from these levels. That's been, that's been a, 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 a good um, new addition in the, in the last uh, the beginning of the year, so it's going to be nine months by now. Um, another one we added earlier this year was, was Jules. That is, again, being a small dividend at that stage, but we do believe it's got scope to do, uh, do more in, in due course. Um, that is the, um, the, the British lifestyle brand. Um, that business tr- treated, we, we think, well through, through the pandemic. Um, it, it, it has also started to broaden its product offer. So it's no longer just the Jules retail offer and the shops on, uh, on the high street or, or down in Padstow, for example. It, it's, it's developing its online offer. Um, it's also developing uh, a marketplace offer called Friends of Jules, um, which it curates. Um, uh, other people's products, smaller brands, and lets them benefit from the, the, the fantastic customer base that Jules benefits from. And Jules also get the, the ability to, to, to take a commission on any trades to that. So that's a marketplace offer. That's not really, um, I don't think the market fully appreciates what that could be in the medium term. And it's also been buying up um, uh, uh, some other small brands such as Garden Trading. It's a, it's a complementary offer. It's more housewares, gardenwares, et cetera. Um, but it's very much serving the, 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 the Jules end customer. Again, Jules, it, this year price has drifted back a little bit in, the, in, in recent months, but it's still on um, mid-teen multiple. It's paying a modest dividend at the stage, but we think it's got scope to grow in due course, and I think there is decent scope for earnings upgrades as, as this business progresses. So again, that's been one which we brought into earlier on this year um, on the recovery trade, and it's been, it's, been, it's been good for the fund. Fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. John, thanks very much. Nice to, nice to speak.